3: The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Season with Peter Schrager. Uh, We are entering the final few days before training camps begin in the NFL. As you're listening to this, the Jets actually start camp this week as they have to get things going with the hall of fame game up ahead they also got the news that they were on hard knocks this year and i think all people are excited about it the nfl is excited about it nfl films is excited about it i'm excited about it uh i don't get the feeling the jets are so excited about it and aaron Rodgers made as much clear when he took to the cameras when they were interviewing him at the golf tournament and basically said the league shoved it down their throats guess what they did um, I'm excited to see what we get from it. Sala is an interesting character in this one, not one for the cameras, not looking to make it about him. And yet he has such a cool life, such a cool, interesting family life. And I, one of the parts I like about Hard Knocks is they take us into the pe- people's personal lives and goes into the homes. Um, Robert Sala has seven kids under the age of 13. He's an NFL head coach. Uh, he's got all this expectations and all of – I guess this pressure this year, to see—I I would like to think Salah is going to be one of the more interesting characters. I know Rogers is going to be fascinating. Question is, Aaron, as as we think about that, does does Rogers let them in for free? This is a guy, Aaron Rogers, who has IP to his name that he could sell his own documentary following his own career for millions of dollars. Is he going to be open with the cameras? Is he going to be saying, "Hey, let's take a day through my my existence here"? I don't see it. I don't know if Rogers is going to be so welcoming, especially after we saw. Uh, the quote that he gave at the golf tournament this weekend.
4: I also wonder, like, does Rogers have the LeBron setup where LeBron has had people following him at all times, like filming the inevitable documentary? Does Rogers also have that? He might, but yeah. So I don't know. I also feel like. What are you going to get, like footage of Rogers going on McAfee's show once a week? Like, I don't know if that's going to make the most enticing hard knocks footage. I'd like to
3: see where Rogers lives. I think that'd be interesting just from the lifestyles of the rich and famous aspect of it. I'd like to see Rogers take a day trip to New York City. I would love to be along on the ride on that thing. And, I, you know, as much as he might be a polarizing figure with his thoughts on whatever it was during the pandemic or his the way his departure with the Packers went. Rogers, Rogers, smart guy. He's got a pretty quick humor. Um, I think more Rogers, the better. I think if we get on hard knocks and suddenly we're doing, you know, 40 minutes on the third string corner and we're doing uh, what's working out in the offensive line room, you're not getting what you really signed up for when you said, Jets, you must do this. So Aaron Rogers, I would hope, would be a part of it. I'm just not sure how much he's going to give. Uh, did you get a chance, Aaron, to watch? the quarterback on Netflix yet, the new series that has been produced by Omaha as well as NFL films and follows around the season of Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota. And after a week of feedback from this thing, everybody's darling Kirk Cousins.
4: Yes, I am. I think I'm five episodes in so okay. far. I'm, I'm trying to slow it. I don't want to binge the whole thing because this is kind of like our, our content until, you know, hard knocks comes up. So I've been, I've been slowly enjoying it. And I, I really like it so far.
3: All right. Let me give you a couple takeaways that I've had. And I want to hear whatever instant reactions you might have, because I haven't really talked about this with anybody except my wife who has been watching it sporadically with me. Um, one is cousins, the most, uh, likable, endearing, most, just like I want to hug him and be his best friend guy in the entire NFL. First of all, the guy takes an absolute beating. You never hear him complain his cerebral nature to playing quarterback with the writing down every different play. I think it was episode four, episode three, where they showed him wearing that headset, which, yep, what is that called? Brain control. What was that thing?
4: I I don't remember, but like he's watching something and it goes dark. If he's
3: not paying enough attention. And it was a, it was a sports century on Larry Bird that he was watching on his little (laughs) iPhone. And if he's not paying attention and if his mind drifts, the lighting dims. So he just like, I've never heard of it. Like that's AI next level. They're running our world stuff. And yet cousins like I've been doing this for 10 years. So what I do, he writes out every single play. That's my first thing, cousins, your thoughts on cousins. Yeah, I
4: was talking uh, to my girlfriend this weekend about it and she was asking like what takeaways I had so far. Um, And I was like, I like cousins a lot more than I expected. He's also so much more calm and soft-spoken like the things i know from cousins are you like that and like the chains on the airplane and they go over that but like he is he's a nice dude and like he's he's kind of silly like he's wearing the clothes his wife puts out for him that morning and you know but yeah he does he takes such a beating it's i visibly winced when he had his chiropractor there like i always think chiropractors are scary but like the next stop oh my god
3: i know there's a little moment, and I'll break the fourth wall here. There's a little moment where they beat the Bills in this dramatic game, and he's walking off the field. Yes, I remember. I know, I'm sorry, you're a Bills fan. And he looks up into the crowd, and as everyone's in this great, hey, cool starter jacket, man. Like he noticed a starter jacket. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have Cousins' number in my phone from like the deep annals of meeting him back probably when he was with Washington. So I just sent him a text, not expecting a response, being like, best moment of the series is when you shout out the guy with the starter jacket. And he wrote back to me (laughs) and he's like, huge starter jacket fan. Anyone who grew up in our era loves starter jackets. I had one. I had to call it out. I'm like, yes. Um, (laughs) That's my first takeaway. Second takeaway. I think Patrick Mahomes' wife, Brittany, gets a bad rap. Everyone seems to think she's annoying when you hear her screaming. or I think she comes across incredibly well on this thing. And I feel like... She's a big reason for Patrick Mahomes' success, how committed she is to this lifestyle, but also their relationship as a whole, how strong it is.
4: It doesn't help that the show opens with her being like, Patrick, we need to take a photo here. Patrick, let's take a photo over here. And he's like, I hate photos. And she's like, one more over here, over here. And like, not a great start for her. They, they did her a little dirty with that. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't realize that she was a part owner of a soccer team. Like, yeah, she's. I, I'm played college soccer. Yes, I'm impressed with her. I I do like Mariota's wife more. I think she, I liked her. Like, I don't know if you've gotten to this episode where she's watching. I think it's the Falcons 49ers game. And she's like, oh, it's getting spicy in here. She's like sweating in the stands. I loved that. Yeah, I like her. She
3: also is studying the playbook and she knows it better than than Marcus does. She's literally reading back plays, like double Y, Z, dragon. (laughs) I'm like, what? That was amazing.
4: One of my favorite moments with plays is when Mahomes sits down and he's watching the tape and he takes you through the entire thing. And he's like... You can see because he's lined up a little closer here. And when we go in motion, it means they're in a zone read. And so that means I can throw deep to the left or I can throw the crosser on the left. Like that was one of my favorites too, him breaking down that playbook like that.
3: I find it really interesting because I work on a daily show. Obviously, I work on the Fox Sunday show. Um, I grew up and you always had edge NFL matchup around and there's all these sites, PFFF. I didn't I didn't play football at a high level. I didn't coach at a high level. So a lot of that X's and O's stuff, and they call it liberos in TV talk, where the guy goes to mm-hmm. the board and Dan Orlovsky will chart it out and Brian Baldinger will say, here's what happens. Here's how it broke open. It's like almost like calculus to me or it's speaking you know, a different language where I just kind of tune out and I'm like, I get it. I, he gets open and I know it's for everyone else. For some reason, when Mahomes is the one taking us through it and when the player who actually did it takes us through it, it's much easier to follow and it's really cool it's like watching chess in a way
5: yeah
4: and he's like pointing out look at this one person on this play and this is why this is happening it's not like i'm looking at the entire formation and trying to see everyone moving it's just him saying here's one guy i'm just focused on this and this is the thing to look at and this is how i know what defense they're in kind of thing
3: i have two more takeaways third one mahomes uncensored you know i'm that dude and mother f this and it's all i don't know if he's it's almost like he's an actor playing what he thinks like a tough guy and yet it's authentic i guess i don't know he's this warm cuddly like sweetheart of a kid and then he's out there cursing off max crosby and i'm like all right there's a different side of him
4: yeah i also love his he he kind of does the Andrew Luck thing too, right?
3: Yep. Good play. Good play, man. Like, always compliment. Uh, to, to Crosby, but Nick Bosa, he was like, man, you're great. After, after he had yeah. penalty. And he's like, you were outside the box, but you're great, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. And my last takeaway is an open question. And this sounds like if we have good morning football right now, I would a hundred percent say this would be our A block to start off the show. The three quarterbacks you would want heading into 2023. Let me give you my three first, and then you can yeah, yeah. let it marinate. And if you're a listener and you're a regular listener of this podcast, tweet us, tweet me. I don't know. I'm outside right now. I got planes flying over me. Um, here's what I'm thinking. I want Rodgers. I want this Jets year. Whether it's great or whether it's terrible, I want Rodgers. I feel like. This is going to be an interesting season for him and for the New York Jets and for the New York media market. I'd love to see Rodgers because they have a hard schedule. They have the hard knocks. They also have the extra week, which is in Canton, Ohio. So they're there early. And they just have this, just this amazing thing. OK, so that's Rodgers. Baker Mayfield. Third stab at this thing. Kind of fighting for his career baker has things to say i think he is a great character in this league i don't want him to be like relegated to a journeyman or a backup moving forward like this is his last fight and i think baker has a lot to say and the last one is a guy that i've only met once and it was at the combine and i was blown away by him and then he was taken way before where everyone had him going in february once the draft came in april uh, I think the Anthony Richardson thing in Indianapolis would be really cool because, and fantasy owners, do what you will with this. What I hear at Indianapolis is like, this guy is the super freak. This is Giannis coming to the NFL at quarterback, six foot six, throws the ball a country mile, uh can apparently run like he's, you know, Jalen Hurts or Deshaun Watson in his prime. Like, I'm here for it. So the Anthony Richardson experience, he's going to be 20, I think, when the season starts. And I, I'm not taking out of the possibility that he's starting week one. So I'm fascinated what he's got. So those are my three, three very different situations. Roger's on this ride. Baker kind of fighting for his career and still being Baker Mayfield that, you know, same son of a gun that he's always been. And then Anthony Richardson, let's get to know this kid. Who are your three?
4: So I think I don't, I don't want to copy what they currently have in terms of the breakdown of the three guys, but I think you want someone who's like a competitor and one of the top young guys like a Mahomes, so yeah. I feel like a Burrow or maybe a Trevor Lawrence would be really interesting. I also feel like we don't get a ton of Trevor Lawrence stuff right now, and I think he would be really interesting okay. to see. Uh, so he would probably – one of those two would be my, my like, top guy. Um, I want someone who uh, – sorry, Mariota, but someone who's also in that, like, competing yes. for their job might lose it. I like Baker, but we've seen Baker – so much you know hard knocks yeah hard knocks. you know he's 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 got enough commercials and everything so i kind of want Tannehill, especially like no you not don't know why not yeah i he they've got levis behind him i think you know there's some had Tannehill.
3: i had Tannehill on a on hard knocks with the dolphins 10 years ago we've got it no, okay 10 okay. years ago let's go let's go with Tannehill. fine so you get
4: Tannehill, and that also means we get vrabel because we there, some of them have more coach involvement than others yes
3: vrabel's good vrabel's good
4: All right, who's your third? And then the third, I think
3: I would want... I I think I want Daniel Jones. Oh, God. You just picked Trevor Lawrence, Ryan Tannehill, and Daniel Jones as the three personalities you want to follow for this season.
4: Yeah, okay, maybe not Daniel Jones.
3: I've not gotten a single quote out of the last two in their entire careers. And the first guy, well, Tannehill maybe, but no, come on. Daniel Jones? (sighs) Lamar. Yes. Now we're talking. Give me Lamar. Yeah. I would love to follow Lamar yeah. for a year in this, this whatever yeah. situation he's in in Baltimore. Sorry to shame Daniel Jones there. No, no. I, I, I was trying to
4: think of someone who just signed a contract. Yeah. And, and Lamar is the obvious one. I don't know why I went with Daniel Jones. I'm to New York. I'm in, I'm in Midtown, so.
3: Yeah, I just bullied yeah. you into picking Lamar. If you want to go Daniel
4: Jones, <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Bullied me into a better pick, I think, so yeah, that's fair. That's
3: fine. Um, all right. Today's podcast guest, really excited for this one. We're about to hop on with him. Uh, the offensive coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence just now. Here's a guy who was in Trevor Lawrence's ear all last year as he took that giant leap forward. And gosh, uh, I'm excited to see what he has to say. This is Press Taylor, OC of the Jacksonville Jaguars.
4: You
0: go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What's up? I'm John Wall.
5: And I'm CJ toledano And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game.
3: So excited for our guest uh, this week. He is the offensive coordinator of one of the best young offenses in the league, and he's got a really cool career, and he's a great all-around coach in the NFL. Um, With no further ado, Jaguars offensive coordinator, Press Taylor. Welcome to the season with Peter Schrager.
6: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
3: Great to have you. Um, You and I have gotten to know each other over the years, but I first... Became aware of your name uh, post Super Bowl, and I'm going to go why, and it wasn't because of um, your amazing relationship with Nick Foles or Carson Wentz. Or when I was doing a deep dive post Super Bowl, like the days after, they were like the Philly special. It starts with Press Taylor. Now I know you deflect that that kind of you know it's a team effort. The Philly special. Let's start off right there before we go back any further. We bring it up to speed. Um, take us through Press Taylor's relationship to the Philly special, one of the biggest plays in Super Bowl history.
6: Uh, Yeah. So I was the uh, assistant quarterback's coach in Philly that season. Um, And one of my jobs was just helping Frank Reich, you know, game plan, giving ideas. Um, Obviously that season we lost our starting quarterback late in the year. We're rolling with Nick, you know, at the time of backup going into the playoff run Frank Reich comes to my office and just says, Hey, you know, we're probably going to need something through this playoff run, some gadgets. Give me give me your best ideas. Well, one of my things all season long is a, basically a glorified quality control, being an assistant position coach, was to watch everything around the league all the time. I'm tagging film. I'm tagging cut-ups or coverages or whatever it may be. So I see a lot of film, and I'd spend Monday Random, nights. Random
3: Browns-Ravens game. You're watching it yeah. just because we might see something. Yeah, like. I'm
6: watching every plus 20 pass attempt that week. Every Monday night, I'd kind of take two hours and just watch across the league. Different things, explosive plays, red zone passes. That's kind of where I got to that one was just watching red zone passes and seeing that. And it was like a meaningless 20. It would have been the 2016 season, like week 17 game. I think the Bears are out of it playing. I think it was the Vikings. Yeah, so it's Matt Barkley playing quarterback. Alshon's on the field, who's on our team at that time. I tagged it. I had five or six other versions of it from different teams. We just happened to pick. So I have a cut up of, you know, 10 examples of this thing right here, whatever we're going to call it at the time. The same play. Very similar. Maybe drawn a little differently, you know, maybe not the quarterback fake in or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, Even college versions. Where college, rules are different. You can put your hands on the center, toss the ball to running back and still throw it in the pros. There's nuances to the rules you can't do. So we were kind of massaging that as we went, but present these ideas to Frank. He's like, I like that one. Let's do that one. Kind of fits some schemes we run, some different presentation down that area. So we kind of take it. Um, that's before the playoff run. We have the bye. We're the first round seed. We get the bye. So we just start working it, you know, once or twice a week, working our way through it, uh, carry it through that bye week, carry it through the Falcons game, carry it through the Vikings game, we have to convince Doug not to call it in the Vikings game in the fourth quarter. Let's talk about this. I love this right here. So yeah. Doug Peterson. So we're rolling. You're up thirty points, and you're yeah. like, "Let's do the play." We'd hit a flea flicker. We'd hit all this stuff. Everything's Torrey working. Torrey Smith on a flea flicker. Yeah. I remember. The crowd's going wild. Like he's just going to feed the momentum right here. Empty the bag, if you yeah. will. Yeah, Exactly. And so we're all like, he, "He's. I'm going to go Philly special guys Good." And we're "No, no, 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 no!" Everybody, Frank, save it. Mike Grow, John. We're all screaming in the headset. No, 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 no. Well, you, you save it, save it, save it. <laughs> so then we go into we're playing new england in the super bowl and we're practicing we run we practice in philly for the first week okay? okay so we're running all our everything we got all our trick plays everything we go practice at the university of minnesota in the super bowl and we're in a dome but we don't practice it ever we're like we don't we don't know what's we don't know who's around here yeah. who these people are or whatever it may be we're not gonna run uh, there's a we history all... of practices maybe a super bowl just <laughs> keep it keep it simple <laughs> sure so the only time we rep it the week of the Super Bowl is in walkthroughs in a hotel ballroom where it's just us, just our offensive unit in the hotel ballroom. We walk through it a handful of times, but we've been repping it for almost a month now. So we kind of worked out some kinks and figured it out. And then, you know, we don't know if he's going to call it. You always have these trick plays. Sometimes you carry a trick play the whole year and it never gets called. It's not the right time. Nobody's feeling it, whatever. And then Nick kind of spurred the whole thing. You know, Nick comes off. We take a timeout on fourth and one. Nick comes off you want. Philly, he called it Philly Philly. You want Philly Philly. Philly Philly. And Doug, you know, looks him in the eye and saw some conviction and yeah, let's do it. So that's kind of how it all spurred about. But yeah, I mean, it's a copycat league. Like, you know, we're all stealing plays that we see work and fit our system and then turn it into our own.
3: It's funny because I remember McVay ran it in a playoff game, ran a trick play, and it was for a two-point conversion against the Packers. And afterwards I think I said, or maybe it's a regular season game, and I said to Sean, I'm like, that was amazing. How'd you draw that up? He's like, Oh no, the Dolphins ran it last week. Salvin Ahmed ran it. Like it was the same exact play. Like we just took it from him.
6: We really yeah. liked what they did. Was like, it the hot potato thing where they throw it was the screen? The yeah. <laughs> exactly. Then Ben Johnson beats the, the Packers on it last year. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. he did. We ran out to Golden Tate a couple of years back
3: too. Exactly. So it's like you see it, you're like, What is that play? And it's like, no, nah, we just stole it from someone else. Yeah, exactly. the and there's yeah. no
6: shame in that, right? <laughs> no, none at all. None whatsoever. You're trying to move the ball
3: yeah um all right your story for the listeners come from obviously uh, i would say a football family your pops was a coach your older brother is zach taylor who's the head coach of cincinnati Bengals. but your path is not as maybe direct as as Zach's. where it was hey college superstar into coaching into take the path you were a high
6: school player going in you went to played college but not major division one am i correct no, I, I originally went to junior college out of high school. So, for two years, okay. I mean, I'm a six foot tall quarterback. I threw for 2,000 yards in high school. You yeah. know, we, we had really good players, but mostly skilled players, but we were old school, under center, all that. So, one highly recruited guy had some D2, one aa offers at the time, but wanted to play D1 football. So, I went to junior college, and my brother had gone to junior college, the same one, actually, Butler. Okay, I didn't Alvin, know that. Yeah. All right. So, he had, but he had bounced back there. He went to Wake Forest out of high school, went to Butler. Had a lot of success. Went on to Nebraska. Had a great career there. So we were familiar with the staff at Butler. So they recruited me. I wanted to play D one. So I wanted to you know take that opportunity to go and develop a little more. So went there. Had two great years playing there. Really enjoyed it. And then went on to Marshall University and played two, play here here played two at, years. Yeah, I played two years. You did there. not out of high school though. Yeah. Yeah. No, not out of high school. So kind of developed into that and uh, had a had a good experience doing that. Spent two years at Marshall University. Did you play quarterback at Marshall? I did, yeah. I was really a backup. Who were you behind? Were you like left which years or was it
3: Pennington or
6: after? No, I was, I was younger than those guys. Yeah, younger yeah. than those guys. Um, so you go to Marshall and then careers over in college. Then what? I think I knew early on I was going to coach. I Just kind of my dad. Was, my dad coached. My brother was kind of getting into coaching at that point, coming out. Um, and so knew I was going to coach. I mean, my brother was at Texas A&M at the time. He was like, hey, you can be a volunteer assistant here. You know, you could. I was trying to get in at Oklahoma at the time. That's home for us. And then uh, my brother knew some people on staff at Tulsa. And I knew the head coach. I had a. My dad grew up with the head coach at the time, Bill Blankenship. So I just sent an email saying, Hey, I'd love to get on staff here. I'll wash cars. I'll find a place to live. I I don't need anything. Just let me sit in your meeting room. And so he just sent, I sent this long email. He just responds, Hey, come see me. So the next morning, jump in my car. I'm sitting in front of his office at six o'clock. His secretary says, do you have an appointment? He said, no, he just said to come see him. I'm here. So I just sat there and then we end up talking. And he's, yeah, I got a role for you. And you come to this. I stay with in a basement at some family friends. and Is that right? So you're living in the basement of a family friend's house. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, and this is for an
3: entry-level job at a you know tulsa's had some years but it's yeah. not exactly ohio state or michigan
6: no not at all but they'd had some good teams and it was a good experience for me and so for the first five months i stayed in my mom's sorority sister's family's basement and press i love this <laughs> didn't get paid and just trying to get some free meals and hang out and learn some football did you have a family
3: at this point or are you solo no 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 solo so so
6: nothing to lose no. i want to be a coach yeah and what a lesson for everybody, right? Just, just kind of chasing dream, doing whatever's possible and, you know, going to work. I just wanted my foot in the door. I felt like I could, I could earn my keep if I could get my foot in the door and that I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity. So then from Tulsa at that position, what's next? So I'm at Tulsa for two years, my second year at Tulsa. Uh, so really I spent that first six months with the the DFO at the time director of football operations, just helping okay. him, but I'm, I'm in meetings. I'm around all of a sudden the, the GA that's coaching quarterbacks, because we didn't have a quarterback coach at the time, goes to LSU. He had a previous relationship with Steve Cragthorpe. Steve Cragthorpe's the OC at LSU at the time, takes this guy with him. Well, there's an opportunity now for a GA position in coaching quarterbacks. So I was given that opportunity because kind of, you know, my four or five months of being there, being around those guys, the head coach, we'd gotten to know each other well, and I I guess I'd earned his trust. So gave me this opportunity to coach a quarterback. So then... Uh, meet my wife my second year there, which I think is an important part of my story, but yep. she would say it is. So. Uh, it's important so meet- to get her on the record. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. So meet her there. And then uh, the summer before my second year at Tulsa, my brother is in his first year as a quarterback coach at the Dolphins, or yeah. he might've been assistant quarterback coach at the time. So we're going down on a family trip to Disney World, I think it was. So we're hanging out. It's the last day there in the office. So I'm just hanging out in his office. Well, Chip Kelly comes through. Um, Chip was at Oregon at the time. Had some NFL interests at the time, yep. but was going back to Oregon. So, you know, we get a chance to talk to one of the revolutionary minds I in mean, college football at yeah. the time. So we're just firing off questions. He leaves the room. We're typing out everything he said. Just we're note takers. <laughs> That's kind of what we do. Sorry, yeah, we, what did you talk about? How do you practice? I, I want it for the listeners because
3: if, if, you, if you just fly in and you're like, all right, Chip Kelly, yay, coached for the Eagles and Fort Niners and whatever. He's a coach of UCLA. There was a five-year window when he was at Oregon where every
6: NFL coach, like if you were to ask them who's the most innovative offensive mind oh,
3: yeah. in football, it was Chip Kelly and it wasn't
6: even a question. No, not at all. So the, so the chance to sit there for three hours with this guy in a room, just my brother and I and him and some other coaches in and out, was invaluable. So we're just firing off questions, talking all that, go our separate ways, That was cool. A year later, he ends up taking. After that season, he ends up taking the the Eagles' job. Yeah. There's a guy on staff, Greg Austin, who was a GA form at the time at Oregon. Okay. uh, Was actually an offensive lineman for my brother at Nebraska (laughs) when my brother's playing quarterback. Okay. So Greg calls me. I'm on a walk, you know, along the river in Tulsa with my girlfriend at the time. He calls and says, "Hey." We're, I'm going to Philly with Chip. We're talking. We're throwing around names, trying to find – we need a young guy that can work with quarterbacks, can work for nothing as long as they, we need to. And So I said, yeah. I'm in. And they didn't talk about pay. We didn't talk about title. We didn't talk about – I said, I'm there. Did
3: you ask your girlfriend on the walk,
6: are, are we in or <laughs> you just said, I'm nah, in? At that time, I didn't. No, I said, <laughs> yeah, I'm in. So uh, I just signed up without knowing what was going on, and it, it worked out. They brought me in. Ended up getting on staff there, and that was kind of how I got my foot in.
3: I remember that first, uh, that first summer with Chip, and it was like, first of all, you guys were the first to like put the geo trackers on every player, oh, yeah. and it was like this modern sports science And I'm not mocking at all because I think it's a, it's the standard now. Yeah, but at the time there was about thirty articles about it, and brought in all these different experts. And then the other thing was, you got, I, if I'm not mistaken, in the
6: quarterbacks room, it was like Bradford, Sanchez, Tebow, like it was everyone, right? We had everybody roll through there. When we first get there, it's Michael Vick, Nick Foles uh, in the room right there. And then it goes – we end up adding Barkley, Sanchez, Sam Bradford. You know, we had – Tebow came through. We had all these guys kind of roll through there. So it was really cool. You know, looking back on that three year experience, yeah different quarterback types to work with, yeah. right?
3: Like, and how does that impact you as a coach or a young assistant working with them? Like, okay, here are five different players, five different skill sets, but let's exactly. try to do what we can to make it work for all of them.
6: Exactly. And we kind of tinkered, you know we had a different starter every year. We kind of tinkered the system every single year. and it was that was cool because with chip, nothing was off the table. It was what can we do? And then, you know the the way he teaches, the way he thinks, it was very forward thinking. Um, so it was fun. We, you know, we were kind of just a think tank of we can try to do whatever we want any sort of way. So we have...
3: How deep would you guys go? Would you go to like Division three? Like what oh, would you look for? when Anything. Yeah?
6: Any? I mean, he, High school? Chip yeah. kind of cut his teeth coaching at New Hampshire. Yeah. And so it was, you know, we'd watch clips. Here's what we did at New Hampshire. We'd have install tapes of a New Hampshire play. And sometimes you get the players looking at you sideways and then we'd yeah. introduce it and we'd kind of turn it into our own thing and see if it worked. Maybe it'd make it to a game. Maybe it wouldn't, but... We Or we just get access to it at coaches and, you know, maybe it just got left on the cutting room floor. But you're seeing all this and you're seeing that football's football. Regardless of yeah. the level, if we can make it work in our system and explain it to our guys and understand it and teach it, why can't we do it? So we were always, it, it felt like just this think tank of football and it was awesome.
3: That first year with Chip and then obviously Chip gets shown the door and in comes Doug Peterson. How do you stay on staff? How do you ingrain yourself with a whole new crew of guys? And I guess for the coaching lifers listening here, like, is there survivor's guilt after something like that? you're like, well, some of my guys have been knocked out, but I'm I'm still here and I've got a family to provide for.
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking. I'd gotten married at the time. I got married in 2015. That was the year that was Chip's last season in Philly. So then Chip goes to San Francisco. We're just kind of in limbo as a coaching staff. You know, they tell you, hey, you get an opportunity to meet with this new coach, see how it goes. It's his call. So I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, I'm going to have to go to San Francisco. And I'm like, I'm newly married. I'm a quality control. I'm not making enough money to live out in San Francisco. So what am I going to do? But I get a chance, obviously, to sit down with Coach Peterson. We just talk. Um, kind of share, I kind of share my vision for myself, what I was doing, what I want to do, where I came from all this. And so he just wanted to keep me and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to make you the assistant quarterbacks coach, which was at the time a promotion and title. Yeah. I'm still a quality control. You're still breaking <laughs> the, You're doing the same stuff. You're just, you get to your resume sounds a little better. It's
3: amazing. And then Chip goes on to San Fran, you stay with these guys. And then is that where you meet Frank Reich and the rest? Yes.
6: So, so Frank comes in, John D. Filippo comes in as the quarterback coach and it was a little unprecedented at the time. They kept a lot of us. So Jeff Stoutland really? stays, Jeff Stoutland was brought in by Chip. He stays on, Deuce Staley stays on, Justin Peel stays on. You know, there were a lot of us that, that kind of stuck through. So we, there was probably four or five of us in the office staff room that were holdovers, so we had a working relationship. But then that was cool because yeah. Doug comes in. Doug brings what they're doing with Andy. Frank brings in what he's done in his past. John D. had been a coordinator. He brings in what yeah. he's doing. And then four or five of us have this idea of what we built with chip. And so we kind of mesh this whole system together and create, you know, our offense at that time. So it's you know, there's bits and pieces people say the Andy Reid system, the chip spread, whatever it may be, but we just I mean, like you do any season, you just kind of form it onto the players you have and what you know and what you think presents issues for a defense.
3: Uh, that rookie year for Wentz goes well, he wins the job, and then obviously he's having this MVP season, and then you go to Los Angeles and this much-anticipated battle against Goff, and he goes down with a knee. Yep. Um, quickly, Carson and you, what was your relationship and you know the toughness you saw from Wentz to kind of handle that situation where we're going to go on this ride and you're on the team, but gosh, you're not the one throwing the passes in the big game.
6: Yeah. I mean, that's the tough part of it. Again, I'm the assistant quarterback coach. So I'm, I'm more, more or less a fly on the wall. Now I'm offering input to Frank and coach D Filippo and all that. And, and, and I'm a sounding board for the quarterbacks as well. So I got good relationship with all those guys. Um, but Carson goes down, Nick steps in. I'd been there when we originally had Nick. So Nick was there with chip we end up, you know, trading Nick with, for Sam Bradford. Well, that Carson's rookie year, obviously we trade Sam to Minnesota. Carson steps in and ends up starting that rookie year, bring Nick back in as the backup in 17. So we had a previous relationship, um, under a different staff. Talk Nick out of retirement, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Nick was borderline retirement there for a while yeah. after, after a, a, a stint away Kansas city. Yeah, yeah. And then came back through. So, yeah. So we came in and Um, Carson goes down and then it just kind of quickly as an offensive staff as quick as we could we pivot more to the thing that Nick does well and a lot of that was going back to the success he had under Chip some of the play action concepts some of the RPO game that we developed in that system we'd still had in our system and we just kind of pulled it back out of the playbook and featured it a little bit more and then we're able to kind of create this run with Nick late in the year yeah uh, your relationship with Foles you guys are tight right yeah so when I got married, my wife comes out, Nick's wife and my wife really hit it off. We end up having kids at the same time. We both have daughters. They end up being close. Um, so really they started a friendship. We have a professional relationship. And then, you know, you spend time in the off season when they're around getting dinner together, or something like that. So we develop a friendship through that. Yeah. So that was cool.
3: I, I've said this before. I I got killed for it on it was after you guys beat the Bears in that playoff game, the Cody Parkey double doink game. And I came on camera and said, I don't care if it's Tom Brady. I don't care if it's Peyton Manning. I don't care who it is. And if I need one drive (laughs) and one game, like – I think I'm going with Foles, and it was one of those deals where an NFL Network put that out there, yeah. And it was like a press release, and it was on Instagram. And I still to this day, people call me a clown for it, and yet I quietly, in in certain corners, will look around and be like, I, I stand by. It. Yeah. Like I Foles was just, when when the game was on the line, there was maybe no one better than Nick Foles.
6: Yeah, he did a great job. He, he rose the challenge. that Those two in 17, the the NFC Championship against Minnesota and the Super Bowl against the Patriots are two of the best quarterback performances, and modern you know, football Just to sit there and watch yeah. him play and yeah exactly I, I mean i think he played as well as anybody has and those two and for the moment they were you know it's not just some regular season game this guy pulls they're two of the biggest games and are the franchise history at the time and so he so to, to play the way he did was awesome
3: you go to the colts after the eagles um that's you know with frank and then you end up in jacksonville with doug last year you get there first time where it's like okay it, yes Doug is an offensive coach but it's really your offense the change when you get that title and you get the opportunity to kind of move that with this young quarterback Trevor Lawrence yeah. um especially coming off
6: what was a, just a, a, you know a forgettable first season yeah. with Trevor like what was that like going into that that was fun cuz it was kind of a clean slate you know rarely do you walk into a situation where you have this first round kid that you know generational talent that gets thrown around a lot but that was it but you know, honestly struggled his rookie year. He's the first to admit that. And so, but you get this basically piece of clay and the type of kid he is obviously becomes a big deal, but you've got a clean slate to work with. We've got money to spend that, you know, the front office was willing to spend and go out and invest in the receivers and the people around him. Um, And then again, we we put together a pretty cool coaching staff and kind of made our own system. So we take what we've done in Philly that Doug and I are familiar with. Yep. Uh, Phil Rauscher comes in from Minnesota, you know, kind of in, in the, coming from the Kubiak system. Jim Bob Cooter and Mike McCoy coming from more or less the Peyton Manning-Philip Rivers yep. passing game, which was something I was familiar with being with Frank Reich and in Indy. So we, we, the three of us kind of have our own language in the pass game. Doug and I have our language from Philly. Phil kind of has these revolutionary ideas from, and in, in our world, revolutionary ideas from the Kubiak system, the Shanahan thing taking over, and so we just kind of put this together, and then we molded around this really special young quarterback. Uh, you know, bringing in Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, and just kind of tried to massage it to fit our skill set, uh, the skill set of the guys around them, and 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 be creative and. You know, again, with Doug, Doug's encouraging us to to think out of the box and do whatever we need to do to create the offense that we're going to become. Two different Trevor Lawrence questions.
3: A, when did you first see, and it could have been the first practice he laid eyes on, I'm like, this guy's special. When, when was that moment for you where you're like, ooh, this is something different?
6: Yeah, I think just watching him throw through the OTA process, just routes on air, it's like... This is the ball never hits the ground. You know, it's just kind of that yeah. type of thing where it's on air. That's what you'd expect. But, you know, he, he was special in that regard. And, and I'd been around really good high picks. Yeah. You know, you know Michael Vick, Sam Bradford, those type of Carson Went. You've been around those high picks and you'd seen it. And you're like, okay, it, it's a, it's on par with that. It's special. Um, and then just getting to be around him through the offseason, you're like, this guy's a really laid back. You know, nothing seems to bother him. He doesn't get, but you don't know. You haven't been in any fire with him yeah. yet go through the season we kind of start out highs and lows you know things are going good we hit a little rough patch but you believe like this guy's something special but the mindset i think really showed up to me particularly was the baltimore game that's kind of where we started to hit our stride where the fourth quarter we need a drive to win the game and he looks like he's just playing catch in the backyard you could feel from the press box you can feel this momentum building in the way the kid's playing the confidence the, the confidence the way he's throwing the ball i mean you're just watching him throw it and you kind of know there's a little more conviction in that you see the passion come out and the way we win the game and all that so you start to see that and you start to think like okay this this mindset thing with the kid's real and he, he is steady he's even keeled he's composed but he's passionate like he is a he is a fiery fighter and that's kind of just what you wanted to see you hadn't really seen yet
3: yeah um and of course you know the the great high school player great college player but after the first year of the pros it's like all right well that doesn't mean anything in the nfl sure um and to hear that he's a laid back i don't know trevor i've never interviewed him i don't know him, but everyone says he is as authentic as it comes he is who he is he's not trying to put on airs and either you know the players they all love him so what is that quality that you see from him that really makes him stand out
6: that's the biggest thing. Honestly, we were playing, we played golf with a couple of buddies uh, two or three days ago. And I had a buddy that's a Jags friend that didn't know him or anything like that. And we get yeah. off. He's like, is he always like that? Just chill. I said, yeah, you know, I've, I've never really seen him lose his cool or anything like that. Uh, I've seen him get intense and a little more competitive, but he's pretty much just always the same guy, even keeled. And I think just the authenticity that he carries himself with guys appreciate that he he is humble, but he's accountable. You know, if, something goes wrong. He's the first to say, that's all me. If whether it's him or not, he's the quarterback, he's going to stand there. He's going to take the arrows for his guys. And I think guys see that and guys respond to that. I mean, when you know what you're getting out of a guy, you know, he's got your back. Um, you know, you're, you're willing to fight a little extra for him. And I think that's our players saw that from the jump. Cause we brought in a lot of new guys that, yeah. you know, didn't know much about him other than the hype and struggles his rookie year. But you know, he quickly earned everybody's trust and the way he prepares and the way he plays and the way he treats people.
3: Now I'm going to get you on the board in the all 22 and you're going to put the film room on, um, your favorite Trevor Lawrence pass of the 2022 season.
6: Oh man, there's been, there were some special ones. Uh, one of the ones I'd say that really kind of part of it was the the time in the season. Looking back now, you realize it was a spark, but we go – honestly, we beat Baltimore in this emotional comeback win. We go to Detroit and just get our faces kicked in. I mean, we fumble yeah. second play of the game. We, we, they just ran us up. And Trevor gets dinged up pretty good. So, he's hurt. You know, we, we thought he tears his ACL, his ankle, something like that. He comes back into this game. We're already down 30. Fights his tail off for his guys. That was cool to see. Done practice much of the week. Going, We're playing Tennessee okay. at Tennessee. First time we're playing them in season. So, he's banged up. Yeah. So, he's banged up. We're not sure if he's going to play. C.J. Beathard's ready to roll all week. You know, come Friday, Trevor says, "I'm I'm playing. I'm good to go." So he comes out again. We're trying to limit movements with him, protect him a little bit. Well, you know, we just kind of start rolling as an offense, throwing the ball over the yard. We have a short little five-yard in route to Evan Ingram, singled up on the outside, or we're in a two by two. So he's outside at number one. Just going to run a five-yard in, bang a completion, keep the chains moving. Well, Trevor pumps him. Trevor gives him a double move, just feeling something at the time. You know, he'd been playing really well uh, throughout the game, throws a double move. Evan doesn't necessarily win right away, but Trevor puts in a spot where Evan's got a chance to go get it, make a play. That kind of just right there showed you the confidence, the ownership he had in the system himself. You know, I think that game he's 30 of 42 for 390 and three touchdowns. Playing on a bad angle. Yeah, playing on a game we didn't even know if he'd play it. Uh, and that really sparked us. I think that kind of kicked us into a five, six-game win streak or something like that at the time. So. And it also shows the ceiling, right? Like, yeah. it, the, Or the unlimited. It's like, oh, wait, he can do that. Exactly. And, and the confidence to do it. You know, that's not something we necessarily – we talked about, hey, you've got the green light. coach to, to, to do that, right? No, not necessarily, but he does it. He gives him a pump. He has faith in his guys, and he can throw it right where he wants to throw it, and guy makes a play. So that, that for us as a coaching staff, was like, okay, this guy's special. There's something different. He believes in this. His teammates believe – that was a, a big turning point for our season there with that throw. But, you know, there's a number of other throws. The you know, in the Dallas, late in the Dallas game, I think it's fourth down. He's scrambling, he throws yeah. one, it goes basically through a guy's hands over his head, hits Zay Jones, keeps us rolling, walk off field goal. There were a couple things like that. Uh, that I I could name a few that were just special type throws. And the potential for him unlimited? Yeah, unlimited. I would I wouldn't put a ceiling on it. Just athletically where he is mentally, where he is, you know, hopefully we can keep this core together with him to continue to grow around yeah. him Cause they all play really well together. But um, you know, it, it's really fun to see him just want to come in every single day and get better and be a better player. And that, that's the way he attacks it and the way he carries himself.
3: I know how close you are with your brother, Zach, do you guys ever, you know, whether you're hanging out at the family, having a barbecue or just texting, him like, my guy's better than yours. Trevor would beat Burrow. and Do you ever go like that way? Does it ever get to that point where you guys are like, this is my dude, that's really your dude, never, let's go. Yeah.
6: <laughs> I think we both, I think it's both clear we love the guy we, we're coaching right now. Um, it's yeah. never come down to my guy's better than your guy, but I think both of us would, would stand on the table for the guy we have right now. But it's fun to see. I mean, it, we're just getting to work with these two guys that are at a special point in their career right now. So what a cool testament it is to your family
3: that you've got two brothers and both of you guys are in the ears of maybe the best two young quarterbacks under a certain age in the NFL. And your dynamic with Zach, like, are you watching games and looking in like the corner of your eye at the scoreboard, either rooting for him, rooting against him? Like, are you
6: keeping an eye on what they're doing too? Absolutely. That's my brother. You know, I'm, I'm his biggest fan. So yeah, unless it hinders the Jaguars in some way I'm I'm rooting for the Bengals always so I always kind of keep an eye on on where the scores are in their games whenever I get a chance in between a drive and between a quarter whatever it may be when my attention doesn't have to be dialed in you, you kind of catch the yeah. scoreboard and say oh they're they're winning by four they're in a tight game whatever it may be you just keep an eye on it and when we get a chance we're not playing at the same time I've, I've got it on I'm watching the Bengals.
3: What makes you guys different from each other? Obviously you see the last name and you see that you guys both wanted to coach and like your father, you're both coaching offenses and you're doing a great job at the NFL, the highest level. What separates the two of you or what would you both say? Hey, if you look in the mirror, this is why I'm different than Zach. Uh,
6: uh, that's a good question. Honestly, I don't know. We've never worked together. You know, we've always shared ideas. And By design? Not necessarily. I mean, I'd, I'd love to work with them at some point in time. I think that'd just be cool for us uh, to get a chance to, to work together, but you know, our, our path is just never the right time to kind of get together. You know, yeah. he was a first taking a, his job as a first-year coach. And, you know, when I was coming out of Philly, um, it wasn't really – he he had two tough years in Cincinnati. It wasn't really the right time yeah. to bring your brother in and double down on that. Yeah. So, you know, that wasn't <laughs> something that ever really came up. We never talked about, you know, doing this, not doing this. It was just I've got my path, you've got your path, let's do our thing and, and root for each other from afar. If it works out in the future, that would be awesome. But uh, I'm not – I don't know if I could say what's necessarily different. We have a very similar demeanor. Um, We've kind of come up in different paths, but at the same time, our paths have crossed in weird ways where we've been exposed to the same systems through different people. But, you know, I think just the, the element of like our environments are different at this point in time. So it's, you know, he's doing what he needs to do to, to be the best coach for the Bengals. And I'm doing what I need to do to be the best office coordinator for the Jaguars. So, you know, our, our offenses pivot at certain times and, Whatever that may be is what it needs to be. We have different terminology, I know that. We we share enough ideas that I hear him talk and things sound different. But I watch them play and we run that play. You know, I may ask a question about how you're coaching this yeah. one and steal some ideas off him because I have access to him. So,
3: yeah. One of the things I loved about Zach last year, we've always, you know, he had the Super Bowl run. I was like, and then the obviously the the horrible situation against Buffalo and then, you know. Zach showed a little edge afterwards about the coin toss and all that stuff and a little attitude kind of embodied like, hey, we're not the old Bengals where you push us around anymore. I, did you see that always from him? Because that's the first time I think football fans saw that from Zach where there's a little bit of bite to him too. Oh, absolutely.
6: There, there's so much that, you know, he he, to an extent lets people in, but he really it's, – it's coach speak when he's in front of people and in front of the media and things like that, which most guys are. So I know I know the fiery competitive – Um, guy he is, and probably in front of his team too, that they know. And, you know, I've seen it as a competitor of him growing up and watching him coach and talking to him. And, you know, I know how aggressive his demeanor is, his mindset is. And then I also see what he puts in front of the media and all that. So I don't know that people have seen the true Zach that he presents in front of his team or that I know him as, but, you know, certainly proud of the way he presents himself and, and, you know, where he's gotten his team at this point dude it's so cool that
3: you're both doing it obviously but on an individual level your path has been great too and now you're at this point and we look at this jaguars team heading into 2023 just to bring it up to speed um a sexy pick for a lot of people like it it was there they're on the cusp they had kansas city on the ropes what's the message to the team going into 2023 and is it one of those where it's like don't read the headlines just worry about ourselves
6: yeah i think we've always kind of been that way even last year when we started out and and A lot of it stems from Coach Peterson. You know, he's the same positive, optimistic, consistent guy every single day in front of the team. And we've always kept the focus on us. You know, we don't care if people are saying we're the same old Jaguars. Oh, this is a new age thing. You know, they're they're, the up and coming team. None of that matters to us because the coolest thing about this thing is, you know, you got to go prove it for three hours every Sunday. And so yeah, none of it matters, whether you're hyped, favored, underdog, whatever it may be. And our guys, we have, we have really high character players that understand that. And everybody kind of wants to prove that Sunday that we're ready to roll. and We have an opportunity to win and we can put our best foot forward. So our focus has solely been on getting better. And that's the message from coach Peterson. That's the message we relay to our players. That's the cool thing is you hear them say that, you know, we, we hear the expectations. It's hard not to hear all that, but I don't think any of that matters to our guys at this point in time because at the end of the day, they're going to kick the ball off on Sunday and you're going to see who the better team is or who's going to come out on top of that game.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower –
1: Offer valid on Select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: Whether you are a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks.
3: You know, I remember when Robert Griffin and I kind of had that big breakout year, the following off-season, there were a lot of articles about defensive coordinators spending the off-season kind of constructing ways to stop whatever the Shanahan's had built for Robert Griffin and, you know, there was a lot of copycat around the league with that. As an offensive coordinator, what do you do during the off-season to improve your skills to get your offense even better? And is there a certain point where you're like, all right, I I need to have this as vacation, but hey, I got to get in the lab also, this offseason,
6: now's my time to do it. Yeah, you're constantly doing it. From the moment the season ends, you kind of do your exit interviews, you sit down with your staff, and we kind of mapped out, you know, it ended up being, we started like, all right, let's find five things we really need to improve as an offense, you know, whatever that may be. As the offseason went, it evolved, I think right now we had like 19 points of We need to do better at this. Okay. What does that mean? Mm. That could be 19 things. That's what we ended up with. I love this. Not 20, 19. And it it goes all, it just evolves. You know, it's, it's five. It it just ended up that way of, and we, it could be a hundred, you know, there's all these little sub points off of it, but uh, from, we need to improve our short yards. We need to eliminate our negative runs. You know, I think at the end of the day, we were one of the most explosive offenses, but we were one of the most, we, we may have led the league in negative plays on first and second half. So we were extremely volatile. We could get ourselves out of it. We'd get in first and 10, go to second and 12 to go to first and 10. So we'd get ourselves out of these holes because we had these players that could do special things. But like we need to identify how we can get better at this. And we've kind of gone about that our our own certain way. Um, Part of it is just evaluating who we are, what we did. What worked? What didn't work? What do we want to continue to invest in? What do we want to, you know, maybe put aside, we thought we'd be great at that. We're not, let's put that aside and yeah. cut our losses and move forward. Where can we add who's doing something that looks similar to the way we play the game or has similar players. How are they using their players? That's maybe we don't have in our system at this point in time, or we have in our system. We just hadn't thought to do it that we way. Haven't used them. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, that's the fun part of it right now is it, more than ever in football, you have access to so much, you know, everybody's watching, Uh, everybody's watching everybody. You can watch all of college, all the college teams out there, what they're doing Twitter. You see some crazy high school D three play, no ideas off the table. And you can, you have access to all that. You can see all that. You can read these articles. You can listen to podcasts of guys, philosophies and how they got to where they got to. And so I, you know, I've been asked a couple of times, what's your hobby? What do you like to do? I, I like football. So I like to watch football, listen to football. If an old game's on NFL. My wife got on me the other day. She said, it's the offseason. Not You're allowed to, NFL not I'm allowed, the allowed to watch to, the yeah. 2016 Cowboys Week 15 game that's on it, whatever it was. And you know, that, hey, it's just...
3: press you and me both. <laughs> exactly.
6: I was last week. Last week I was at a thing
3: for Fox, and I go up to Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhardt, and I'm like, I was up this week. I'm like, you guys called a game uh, a couple years ago, Patriots Colts, and I think you were probably coaching in it. It was a Saturday game, and I'm like, yeah. you guys did a really nice job. And Burkhardt looks at me, he's like, Why are you watching that? Why are you watching that? It's June. Why are you watching that? I'm like, I don't know. It was on. I loved it. it
6: it's work, obviously, <laughs> but that's it's fun. That's what I enjoy doing. It's so. also a drug i love it i'm listening to a podcast. i texted you the other day that i was listening i was watching your youtube with you and kellen doing this thing and you know i'm trying to pick nuggets every time i hear kellen say something insightful i go to my notes throw it in there something whatever it may be um so that's the the fun part of it right now is you constantly learn you can constantly grow constantly evolve and if there's something i think can help our team then i'll steal it i'll take it i'll turn it into ours and present it to our guests um, let's do a little rapid fire
3: here. Uh, your father was obviously a, a legendary high school coach. Um,
6: who was your greatest mentor in this profession? Would you say it's your pops? Um, I would say it's my brother, just cause now okay. my, my dad was coaching, but he got out of coaching before I was even born. So he coached us, but he wasn't coaching okay. college at the time. Um, yeah. so my brother and I have, my brother's obviously five years older than me. He's always been ahead of it. So he he was always kind of, I could call him and, you know, how do I deal with this coming up? Cause maybe he went through it before. Um, so I would say him and then Frank Reich and Doug Peterson are certainly two other names that, you know, and Chip Kelly's influence on me. I would say that's, that's never really left my mind and stuff like that. So those, those guys, you know, my, my brother and Frank are probably two that I talked to the most. And then obviously Doug, I can walk around the corner and talk to him.
3: Who is the player that you've coached that you've looked at and said, that's, that's just the biggest physical freak I've ever been
6: around. And this is, this is a special dude that i've coached i mean michael vick yeah even at that even at that age i'm 24 years old when i get in the nfl i've played with yeah. michael vick on madden for 10 years before that and there was the one you know you're not allowed to play with him it's different no so, yeah I
3: mean. him and lg crumpler and brian finneran you cannot play with that team <laughs> yeah, i think that was. Exactly. I think it was
6: oh four madden yes yeah so so michael vick was the one that's like this guy is a, a monster. just the way he throws the football the way he moves, effort, like, That was really, you know, in terms of being on the field with, watching him day in, day out, just a physical freak. Jason Peters, you know, left tackle for the Eagles. One of those guys is just his ability to move another grown man was incredible. And then the thing I tell people too is uh, as a coach, the opponent, when we went to – in 2017, we went to Carolina on a Thursday night and watching Julius Peppers and Cam Newton run out of the tunnel, it was just like – Wait, what are those two? Like, those what two, are two they belong doing? on the same field as
3: the others. Yeah.
6: Yeah, they were just athletic specimens, so they, it was cool to see. It, it's just cool to, you know, get to be on field level with those guys and see those guys every single week.
3: Yeah. Your favorite play call that you've made that you take pride in, and you're like, all right, that was kind of unique, and you haven't
6: seen that everywhere. If you can go into the the annals of the Press Taylor play call history. Um. Well, another big one was the Chargers playoff game. You know, we're we we we're kind of making this comeback. We score. We're about to kick the extra point. They get a penalty. Ball's on the one. Doug says, let's go for two. We've got a little screen called out to Evan Ingram. It's got a at the time, because it's short yardage goal line play, it's got a kill on it for Trevor to sneak it. Well, yeah. You know, it's a, it's on the one. It's two-point play. We're, I'm saying in the head, say, hey, no kill. Just throw the screen. Let's roll. And Trevor kind of just, you know, trumps everything, dives in the end zone nobody's blocking the sneak for him. You know, he does it yeah. all on his own. The line's not cutting, nothing like that. So that was one of those ones. It's like, eh, that worked out well. Everything, you know, <laughs> moment. Good. I told him not to do it. He does it. You know, that's kind of where we'll you're take like, it. let a player with momentum kind of do his thing right now. You don't want to take his stinger away. And he was feeling it. He made a play. So that was one that's like, I don't know if that was a great play call. It yeah, obviously yeah. was not, but he made it work. And so that was a cool one to be a part of him. Like, all right, things are hitting here. So.
3: Were you in SoFi for when the Rams played the Bengals in the Super Bowl two years ago? I
6: was. Where were you? Where were you seated? Let me hear everything. I had just gotten the job here, so I signed my okay. contract on like Thursday, and I tell Doug like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to miss Monday. Like I got to go to the Super Bowl. So yeah. I, you know, second day of work, I'm asking for the day off. Already to go <laughs> out there and celebrate uh, or watch my brother, kind of you know, in the biggest game of his career. So we're out there. You know, they've got a, a suite for the family. We're in Beyonce, Jay-Z or, or Beyonce, maybe just they're three suites down. My sister's waving at her, all this stuff. So uh, that was a really cool experience, just getting to be there for that, watching them play, you know, come down to the very end. And that was a cool experience for our family to, to be able to sit there and see that and watch that. Yeah, your uh, Eagles Super Bowl parade memory is what? I mean, I tell people that was probably the most fun I've ever had in coaching. You know, people say it was Not the Super the Bowl, game. the no. parade. The game is so stressful. The, the to <laughs> see the confetti fall, it's it's almost just relief at that point. It's over, we did it. The parade is you wake up in the morning and you know we're about to go out to a million screaming fans celebrating us, yelling at us all the time. So the parade uh, was awesome. I remember Joe Douglas. We're on different floats, but seeing him at the end. Uh, when we get to the rocky steps and all that seeing him he's got a big gash on his face i guess he yeah i not know a fan throws him a big beer can hits him in the face cuts his face you know i think he was excited about it he didn't care at the time but <laughs> stuff like that just those memories of seeing all that jason kelsey's speech and the mummers oh, yeah. outfit you know fletcher cox trying to talk and people getting him off the stage just things like that that you, yeah. you just remember and that was a really special day for us it's a special team i feel like that was like a really cool
3: team that was of that model where there was these homegrown guys, but they also went and acquired guys like Alshon Jeffrey yeah. and they acquired, you know, Jay Ajayi at midseason and they they put it all together. And then the Eagles almost overnight, they're in the Super Bowl again with a whole new crew, but they still have some of those holdovers from that guy's. Uh, that twenty seventeen
6: team, when you look back on it, did you know at the time it was as special as it was? You know, I think midway through the year. Uh, you started to feel there's something special going on. Offense was kind of hitting our stride. The end of the defense, we had a top five defense that year. We had talent across the board. We had the right veterans in the right spot. Um, there was great leadership on that team. So you kind of saw, I think early on, we didn't know, you know, we were one-on-one we're one, coming back from a tough loss at Kansas City, playing the Giants. We end up, kicking a 61-yard walk-off field goal yeah. to beat the Giants and struggle our way to 2-1 and one at the time. Jake Elliott, if I'm not Jake mistaken. Jake Elliott, yeah. So so then from there is when we kind of get hot and we kind of start beating up on teams. And that's when you start getting into, you know, you look back at it and we were beating teams pretty good, pretty handily, yeah. which doesn't happen much in the NFL. Um, so you started thinking, yeah, you know, we might be pretty good here. And we've got our showdown with the Rams. The Rams are, you know, coming out like gangbusters early on. And that, I think that was Sean's first year yeah. And my brother's on staff there, and we go out there and play those guys in just a battle, lose Carson in the game. Nick gets us through it, get the win, clinch the division. And, but then you're like, all right, things are going well. Well, we just lost the MVP candidate. Now, where's it going to go? So it was, you know, there's kind of the ebbs and flows throughout the season. I think we were the first ever one seed to be an underdog in the yeah, second round I guess of playoffs Falcons, sort of, I against think. the Falcons. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. There were times where you felt like we might be really good, then you lose your quarterback, then you lose. Jason Peters. Then you lose Darren Spool. I mean, it was just kind of, there was enough ebbs and flows that kind of kept us on our toes and which probably ultimately got us over the hump there it was never letting our foot off the gas.
3: Carson Wentz. I mean, such an interesting figure right now. I don't think he's even on a team at the moment. I, I haven't been checking my phone of the day, but you coached him in multiple places. Uh, the good of Carson Wentz. If you were to make the case to a coach who's like, should I bring this guy on? What, what is the good of Carson Wentz as far as if you're doing a pros and cons and what make the case for why he, he's still a viable
6: player in this league? Well, I mean, he's a great athlete, honestly. Now, he went through a lot of injuries, you know, tearing his ACL, had a, a broken bones back, whatever, you know, the next season. Has had his share of injuries that I, I think a little, in a little bit hampered his athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's a great athlete. He's incredibly cerebral. He spends a lot of time, is able to process a lot of information, has a very aggressive mindset in the way he plays, wants to push the ball down the field. And then he'll lay it on the line for his team. I think, he, you know, he, he brings a physical aspect. Now, I think at times that, that hinders him, you yeah, know, he's sure. willing to let go of a play. But, you know, as far as a teammate and a guy you're coaching and a guy that will put it out there for his team all the time, there's you know, that's what you're asking for.
3: Yeah. All right. Our last in the rapid fire. And it's more of a philosophical question and a a message to young coaches out there. You said it. You were living in a basement of your mom's sorority sister and you were driving yourself to Tulsa and saying, hey, I could do anything. What would be your message to a young man or woman leaving college and, you know, no job opportunity in the NFL sitting there waiting for them? But they
6: say, I want to coach football. What would be your message to that person? Find a way to get your foot in the door. Get your foot in the door and then make yourself as valuable as possible to where when people leave your staff, uh, you know, they have to take you because of the things you provided, the things you were able to do, and the staff you're on has to keep you because they don't want to lose the things you're able to do, Um, whatever it may be. You know, I I, I took a lot of pride in taking initiative and I, I did the job requirement that I was asked to do and then I wanted to do, now what can I do? How can I make the offense coordinator's life easier, the quarterback coach's life easier, the quarterback's life easier. What can I do to provide value? And, and, you know, you, you can't take it hard when you throw an idea out there or you do something and it, it you don't see the fruits of it at the time, you know, it's, yeah, that's a good idea, but we're not going to do it, you know? Okay, great. You know, I, I researched an idea, I brought an idea. It doesn't fit us right yeah. now, but that doesn't discourage me from continuing to, Try to find ideas, try to find value, try to push ways to progress the team. Or push that idea in the future, right? Exactly. Like yeah. to, to me, that's important. We do this, we do a
3: TV show every day, and it's like a young producer comes up, he's like, I got this idea, and we kind of like poo-poo it. And I'm like, no, no,
6: no. That stick with it. I like that. Yeah. I like that you're thinking of things. That's good. Yeah, you're just trying to grow. I mean, that's the coolest thing about being in the NFL is it's football 24-7. I mean, we are we are constantly watching film, tinkering scheme stealing ideas, molding things (laughs) that fit our players, listening to our players, you know, it's a partnership with players. And I think not putting yourself on this pedestal to where nobody else can give you an idea. I mean, I I will take an idea from anybody at any time that can get us four yards. You know, we're willing to do it. Four yards. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, we're staying ahead of the chance we get four. So, Uh, (laughs) so, you know, that's, you kind of got to leave your ego at the door and you're just trying to get better every single day. We tell our players that too, but that's the ultimate goal. It's just, I want to continue to grow. Who's a
3: play caller that maybe doesn't get the same credit he might deserve? I mean, we always hear about Shanahan McVay and even, you know, your brother gets a lot of love for some of the stuff you get they do. And so like who's someone that you say, you know, you should check out what this
6: guy's doing because what he does is pretty impressive too. You know, I always kind of liked, and, and this isn't just because he was on your podcast, but I always liked kind of what Nate Hackett was doing in, in Buffalo and yeah. Jacksonville when he was doing it originally there. And it, and it looked a little different than it does now. You know, obviously you continue to grow and evolve. I like watching Shane Waldron in Seattle. You know, those guys are, he, did a great job. Interesting. You know, Shane's on that whole tree also, never yeah. gets mentioned. He's right. been with those guys, LaFleur and all those guys, yeah. Did a great job, you know, helping put Geno Smith in great positions while keeping their identity of running the football and, and the things they want to do. So, honestly, you know, I'll, I'll watch anybody at any time. <laughs> I know, the list goes on. I know. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun to just see what's going on. I, the league's in good hands of just – I think football's in good hands, just these forward thinking minds, everybody kind of pushing the envelope and competing and do, to make football better. Uh,
3: our last thing, and uh, you know it's for the Jaguars fans specifically. Um, as we get excited for this season, uh, your message to to fans down there in Duval County is what?
6: Uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about. you know obviously we we have we have the right guy pulling the trigger, and I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know we'll we'll go a long way, I think with Trevor Lawrence as our leader uh and and coach peterson obviously the guy at the front of it all with those two i, I think my message to the jaguar fans is we're in good hands you know just just stick with us keep showing up the the last two they were essentially playoff games titans game the Chargers game awesome environment right our crowd was as good as any crowd i've ever been in yeah. and so when, when duval comes out it, it's a it's a pretty special thing and our players feed off it and stick with us we got the right people leading the charge so
3: All right. From the basement of the sorority (laughs) sister's house to the grunt work uh, under Chip and, you know, helping with the Philly special to now being the offensive coordinator, one of the hottest teams and the sex, I say sexy, I don't know if the word sexy makes sense, but you know, they're a hot pick for this summer. Um, Press Taylor, I'm so happy for you to come on the podcast. Hope you had a good time and we appreciate you taking the time, especially during your one vacation week before training (laughs) camp. I
6: appreciate it, man.
3: Always good talking to you. Awesome stuff, Press Taylor, Jaguars OC on the season. That was great. I'm bringing in our producer, Aaron Wong Kaufman. Aaron, you've been on uh riding shotgun with me for most of these podcasts. uh There's something that I like. I smile when I hear I was living in the basement of my mom's sorority sister because she lived near Tulsa. That I'm like, I love that stuff. I love that. And of course, he you know he finds his own way, but. Pretty cool story out of Press Taylor, too.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: and especially with
4: last week's, too.
3: We have working at Enterprise,
4: rent a car, and yeah, Brad living, Holmes, yeah. living in the one-room apartment, uh, you know, at the end of the train line, uh, and now, you know, Press, like, going, driving all night to get somewhere. He doesn't have an appointment or anything. He's just like, yeah, I'm here. He told me to come meet him, and here I am for to talk.
3: You know, I started with the Philly Special with Press because I love that part of the Philadelphia Eagles season. And I was obviously coasting good morning football at the time. And there was all sorts of coverage about that play. And in like the hours afterwards, I remember talking to someone with the Eagles and they're like, I'm like, where the hell did that play come from? And they're like 24 year old press Taylor, find him. And I'm like Googling who that is. And he's in the bottom of the org chart. But like, isn't that a sweet message that like it can, any ideas can come from anywhere. And in that case, it was the assistant quarterbacks coach who essentially was basically, you know, a low level guy at the time, but now he's the offensive coordinator of the Jaguars.
4: Yeah, I also love him talking about every time you assemble this like new collection of of coaches, whether it be offensive or defensive, they're all bringing in influences from the yeah. Chip Kelly system, the Andy Reid system, the McVay system, and and you get like parts of each of them, which is a really fun thing to think of. And and none of these coaching staffs are like static and, yeah. and just the same thing no matter who's at the head of it. So mm-hmm. that's I loved hearing about that too, and all of the different people he's worked with.
3: It's really cool. Um, We're wrapping up two weeks in a row of doing Lions GM last week, Jaguars OC this week, two teams that have not been on the radar relatively. We were a little blip for the Jaguars a few years ago, but I might pick that as my Super Bowl this year. Like, this is why the NFL is the best. We're in July, and I'm talking Jaguars and Lions as a Super Bowl pick as a possibility. But you hear from some of the decision makers, you hear from some of the coaches, and it's hard not to kind of take a bite out of that apple and be like, "I like where these teams are headed." Young, ascending, had a taste of success at the end of last year. The Lions in the regular season, the Jaguars obviously won a playoff game. Ah, it's almost here, dude. It is almost here. It would be it would be wild for the
4: kansas city kansas city's next rival to be the other
3: the other taylor brother they went from zach taylor to press taylor um all right this is the season with peter schrager we love you guys listening uh we're gearing up training camp starts soon uh on behalf of aaron Wong kaufman our awesome producer and jason english and Grace Fuse and, and Kurt, the great editor. And of course we've got our folks back in LA and we can go down the list. Jason Kleinman doing an awesome job and Meredith Batten and her team, Matt Schneider, his squad, David Jarenko who runs the whole show as far as digital goes. And then, of course, uh, we talk about you guys, the listeners, keeping this thing going. I feel like I don't want to say it's a cult it's a cult uh, favorite because that means it's a small favorite and it means it doesn't have a huge audience. But the truth of the matter is the amount of texts I get based on these these interviews, whether it be the Kellen Moore, the Nathaniel Hackett, or even the Hank Azaria one a few weeks ago got a lot of love. So we'll keep them coming. I love doing it. And uh, we love that you're listening. Tell your friends, subscribe, and uh, let's keep on rocking as the season approaches.
2: Offer ends June 30th, 2024.